Hello and welcome to the 108 podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Raquel. And we are the Type 1 Together Girls. We are stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. Please remember Type 1 Together does not give medical advice. We are only sharing from personal experience. All right, let's get into today's episode. We can catch up really quickly. I feel yeah, let's like it's do been it. a minute. We have been one very busy, but two, we've had some fun guests on lately. And I love having guests on, but I also just love our conversations. So I'm happy to have another one, just me and you. I completely agree. It feels like it's been forever. What have you been up to, Amanda? Oh my gosh. <laughs> my little one is turning four soon. Um, so getting prepared for that. And then I don't know, just like preschool. I sound so boring. What have I been up to? Oh, you know what? No. In in lieu of what today's conversation is gonna be about, I'm gonna talk about my date night. <laughs> yes. Please do. <laughs> so my husband and I went out on a date this past weekend. And when we go on dates, excuse me, sorry. Um, we are fortunate enough to have my parents living close by and my mom comes over to watch our girls. And, uh, we just very closely talk, you know, whenever we're out, she calls or texts for guidance on dosing and things of that nature. And so that's how it works out for us. And we were out with, the expectation that we were going to go out to dinner, have maybe one drink together, and then go to Target because we're boring and lame. And when we were out, it just turned into so much fun. We visited my brother who bartends at um, a local bar here in San Diego, and he's just like the life of the party. And we ended up having so much fun. And then we got an invite from some of our friends to meet them out at another bar and listen to live music. And I was just having the best time. I knew the girls were well taken care of. I knew Hattie's blood sugars were under control and she was safe and asleep and happy. And I could really just turn my brain off, which led to me (laughs) (laughs) not keeping track of the amount of beers I was having. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, I was sure I was in control (laughs) all night long and I remember absolutely everything. And then we started walking back to the car with some of our friends that were sober and driving us home. And that's when I really felt it like in the car ride home. I was like, oh, I don't feel good. And then I I cannot believe I'm going to put this on a podcast, but this is real life, you guys. Okay. I threw up in our front yard plants like a teenager. And then I walked into the house and basically was like, mom, don't be mad at me. She's like, you're, you're a grown woman. What? Why would I be mad at you? I love that for you. We all need oh, that every now and then. I know, but I felt, it's funny because I felt so guilty. I do not do that often. Um, maybe once every year to two years where I just kind of lose track of the amount I've had, or I'm just really enjoying (laughs) myself. And I really try not to ever do that unless I know for sure that Danny is completely sober 
in the case of an emergency, then someone is there, obviously, you know, someone who like deals with the blood sugar stuff day in and day out and really knows all of her medical history and everything. And so I woke up just with that pit in my stomach, that like anxiety and dread after you, you drink where you're like, what did I do? A lot of shame, whatever. And I texted my mom to apologize. And she made me feel so much better because she was like, don't say sorry. Like, yes. I don't judge you. You have so much on your plate. You're so overwhelmed. You deserve to let loose every once in a while. It's not a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, I was just kind of like, I'm already hungover and have to be a functioning parent all day long and got no sleep. That is punishment enough. And there is no need for me to sit here and just like feel terrible about my decisions last night. So yeah, you should not feel bad. I support it. Thanks. <laughs> That's all you need, right? My approval. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> but it was good to, yeah, I don't know. Every once in a while, I need those nights to remind me that I do not have the physical capabilities of rebounding like when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. or young adult. (laughs) So um, hopefully a night like that won't happen for a very, very, very long time, but (laughs) worth it. So much fun. We had the best day ever. It was great. Good. That's so fun. What's going on with you, my friend? Honestly, I have been like tunnel visioned into getting work done and getting ready because I was supposed to actually leave today uh, or yesterday, I guess, to go to Florida to go to Disney World with my family, which we ended up postponing for many, many reasons, just family stuff happening. And it just didn't seem to be the right time. Um, But because of that, I was like trying to get everything done and prepared. So that's like what my whole life was. But I will say, because this might actually help some of you before I end up going later in the year, um, I did go through with signing up for the DAS pass. I'm forgetting exactly what it stands for. It's like the disability something service. Accessibility or something. Accessibility, yes. Um, And basically, if you didn't already know, as a type one, we qualify for this pass that essentially makes it so that you don't have to stand in line. Um, you do have to wait the same amount of times for all the rides as everyone else, as it should be, right? But you get this approval, then it appears in the like My Disney Experience app on your phone, I believe, or maybe it's something with your ticket when you get there. Since I'm not actually there, I can't fully say. But basically, you tell it like, oh, I want to go on this ride. And it'll say, okay, come back to that ride in 40 minutes or two hours or whatever it is. And the reason why we qualify is because, well, type one is technically a disability. And if we're in line for a very long time, which apparently the lines have just been really crazy lately, um, and we get low, we might have to leave the line or, you know, it's time to eat and you're dropping again. You know, there's like all these reasons. Technically, you could even pass out in line. Um, I was really nervous to get the pass because you have to actually go through a little interview process. And I was like posting about it on my Instagram. People were like, oh, yeah, it's totally fine. You'll get it. No problem. And then other people were saying that they've been denied, like people have been really rude to them. But I got the sweetest lady on the interview. So it's actually a video call and it took about five minutes. I mean, you had to wait in the queue for a while. But once I got there, um, she was like, so what's your reasoning for wanting the pass? 
or I think she specifically said, what's your reasoning for not being able to stand in line? And I was very straight up. I just said, I have type 1 diabetes. Um, a lot of times I need to eat at very specific times. That might not be the most true thing I've ever said, but I will get low <laughs> if I don't eat for a very long time. So, mm-hmm. um, And I also said, I might get low in line and need to go get something to eat. And so she was like, okay, great. Let's get you signed up. And she went forward with it. And it was that easy. That, is, that sounds super easy. Yeah, she was so nice. And people were saying in the DMs, yeah. Sorry, just that you knew to do it beforehand because Mm -hmm. we didn't know to do it beforehand when we tried to go this time last year. And the line to get to the disability services like window was a two hour wait. Okay, well, that's so interesting. I'm glad you actually said that because I was about to say that everyone in my DMs was saying you shouldn't have done it on online you should just go in person it takes two minutes and they don't actually ask you as many questions they just have to give it to you so this is interesting okay you had to wait a while yes did you do it no we didn't because it was like so I mean this was totally our fault we are not Disney people we like don't know how it works and we went to like the Disneyland you know in Anaheim in California not Disney World so I don't know if there's a difference there, but we did it for our daughter's third birthday last year. And like we went up, we had to go on a Saturday because my husband couldn't get time off of work during the week. And October up there apparently is freaking crazy. But we left our house at like 645 or 7 in the morning and got to Anaheim like around 9 And we still, it was 45 minutes to get a parking spot. And then it was another 45 minutes to actually get into the park. And then it was 30 minutes of waiting in line with our tickets that we already bought, like to get scanned. And then we were like, why is it so great? It it was a sea of people. You felt like a sardine almost everywhere you turned. Uh. And we went from ride to ride and then like try to go get the disability pass. It was like projected wait time till you can see a disability service person two hours. And we're like, what? So then we got the fast pass online. And then like, you know, with the fast pass, you can basically schedule when you're going to walk up. The next available ride wasn't until 4 PM. And at this point it was like 11 AM. And we have a three-year-old type 1 diabetic with us. And we were just like, wow, this is trash. (laughs) Yeah, that makes me nervous for it. I hate huge crowds. But I'm hoping – so we're going to go in December. Maybe it'll be a little better because we're going before all the kids get out of school. I feel like the holiday times will be much nicer weather-wise in Florida for sure. And then also just beautiful with all the lights and everything. So We'll see. I'll definitely report back with all the tips. The cool thing about when you do get the pass ahead of time or just in general is that you can bring everyone in your family with you. I think it's up to five people, maybe six. So, you know, we can all go together and that's, you know, you wouldn't want it any other way. So, yeah, that's awesome. You guys are going during the week too, right? I think it'll be like partially during the week and we're doing like a full, like we haven't gone since I was really little and this is technically my sister's graduation gift. And so, um, I don't know. My parents are like, we're doing all the parks. We have like the hopper thing. We're going to go to Animal Kingdom and Epcot. And yeah, yeah, it'll be a yeah. whole thing. So yay. Um, so <laughs> yes. Fun. But other than that, blood sugars have been horrible. Honestly, I won't talk about it for too long, but 
Um, I was about to get my period and I could feel it. I was like, okay, this is why they're being stubborn. I always have a really tough day right before that. And then it finally arrived and usually it's a lot better, but it actually hasn't been. Like they've been really stubborn. Um, I think I had a bad sight last night, so I've been high and then finally was back down. And then right before we started recording this, I had just had breakfast, which by the way, I made a a uh, breakfast taco with a siete almond flour tortilla and those are lower Ooh. low carb and it's so so good but like that meal does not have a lot of carbs at all and i was 220 straight arrow up and i've been Ugh. rage bolsing and now i'm 221 sideways i haven't even had much coffee yet. i'm like where is this coming from so i don't know i think my body's just been like in a state of stress with lots yeah. of things but hopefully the rest of the day will be better that's where i'm at <laughs> i'm sorry Rico. It's okay. It happens. It doesn't happen that often. So at least there's that. Um, at least, Amanda. Uh, yeah. Yes. I was just going to say, say, at least you have uh, your pump so you can just <laughs> plug it yourself in. and stuff. Yes, exactly. Instead of I love it. stab, stab, stab. Yes. So what are we talking about today? Okay. So today's topic is one that has been asked about quite a bit and it is essentially the mental health side of things sure I'm going to share my story about my mental health journey um but then leading into that the discussion on like parenting and the rage that comes up like and the lack of patience that is all building because of the stress of dealing with a chronic illness that has potentially life or death scenarios day in and day out. Um, So that's today's conversation. And I'm just going to jump into it with my mental health journey so that those of you who are in the same boat know that you're not alone. So I had a definitely been battling with anxiety and I knew that I had some anxiety, but I never got it treated and I was never like seen for it. And I, it was very high functioning. I was living my life. I, I went to college. I got my degree. I got a job. I showed up to work. I was getting my promotions, you know, whatever. And, but like the only person in my life who really knew how badly I was struggling with basically any and all social situations was my husband. And this is all in my twenties, like before we got married and had kids. And it's just an important note, you know, like my anxiety symptoms showed up as racing heart and clammy hands and getting dizzy, feeling like I was going to pass out or faint. Um, I avoided crowded areas. I like going out to target to get dish washing detergent and like two other things was a whole day ordeal. I had to plan it around my meals and my bathroom schedule and all these things and make sure that I went when it would not be busy. Cause if I walked in and it was busy, I was going to pass out. So take that and then go into having two kids within 22 months of each other The first one was Hattie, our type one diabetic. And that pregnancy, um, you know, we, it was a challenge. She had some health conditions before even getting pregnant with her. We had two pregnancy losses 
And then COVID happened. We lost my mother-in-law to her battle with early onset Alzheimer's. And life was just heavy. And then we have our second baby. I'm in a state of postpartum depression. I really had a hard time connecting with her. And right as I'm starting to feel like, okay, I think I'm okay. I think I've got it. Um, Looking back, I realized I really, I did not have it. I was definitely yelling more than I would like to admit at my two-year-old. But it was right at that time when Hattie was diagnosed. And so then I still did not take care of myself. And I went right into just being a pancreas and still having a newborn and breastfeeding and a two-year-old who feels terrible and I have to chase her down and I have to cause pain just so she can eat freaking food. And I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating because I'm depressed. I don't know I'm depressed, but I'm fully depressed. I'm not hungry ever. And I'm like withering away. And then I basically am forcing myself to like jump back into life and achieve normal as quickly as possible because I felt like that's what our family needed. So I was like, you know, forcing myself to take both girls and all of our diabetes supplies and everything out to the zoo and to like the water park and on play dates and all these things. And I'm forcing myself to get out of the house every single day because I'm not being kind to myself and I'm not giving myself grace. And I'm a terrible mother if I let them watch TV. And I'm a terrible mother if I am not always being a gentle parent and whatever. (laughs) And then I'm driving my kids three months after diagnosis, driving my kids on the freeway. I've only had coffee, like four cups no food because I'm not hungry because I'm depressed, but I don't know I'm depressed and barely any water. And I feel panic attacks starting to come over me. And I've had mild panic attacks in the past and certainly lots of anxiety attacks, but this is a real panic attack and I can feel it. And I'm starting to lose consciousness. And I pull over literally at the very last opportunity before getting on a bridge that was going to connect me to a north-south running freeway. And I'm getting honked at and screamed at. The seven-month-old at this time is screaming and crying. Hattie's crying and saying, Mom, I'm scared. Drive the car, drive the car, because we're on the side of the road. And there are cars going past us at 80 miles an hour. And I call my husband, sobbing. My heart is, like, out of my chest, my ears, my mouth, my eyes, like I am not functioning. I can't feel any of my limbs. And I'm saying, I'm having a panic attack. I'm having a panic attack. And it was just, it was one of the darkest moments of my life for sure. Um, Because it was like, I really almost just killed my kids, you know, like, yeah. If I didn't pull over right then and I passed out going 80, approaching a bridge like what the (laughs) yeah yeah so Danny came to pick us up from the freeway and he is an angel of a human and this is why I married him and for a thousand other reasons but we got home and he had me sit down and he was like it's okay you're okay it's okay and he brought me his phone 
that already had all of the options for mental health pulled up on our um, insurance screen. And he was like, you need help. I need you to just take the step of picking one because I can't pick your psychiatrist for you. You have to do it. And I literally just like called whatever the first one was and they got me set up with the next available appointment, which wasn't until like five days later. And those next five days, I realized that something was super wrong because I thought, oh, you know, I just obviously I'm I'm struggling and, you know, it's just it was probably just the coffee and the lack of food. And like I was really tired because I woke up lots with the baby last night, whatever. And over the five days while I was waiting to actually get seen by somebody, I um, could not drive the car again. I thought I could. I gave myself like two or three days time. And then I got in the car and had a panic attack at the closest stop sign to my house, which is about a hundred feet away. And like, I was like, I'm not okay. This isn't okay. And then that panic attack turned into like a panic attack while I was breastfeeding my baby. Cause I was just like, get off of me. What if I drop you? Like the most intrusive mom thoughts, just like anything that I was doing was going to harm my children. And then I finally got seen by a psychiatrist and less than two minutes into me explaining everything. She stopped me and goes, okay, we need to talk about medication. And I was like, no, I don't need medication. I don't need it. And she was like, you are in charge of your own life. So if you say no, that's okay. But I do need you to understand that in order to heal, in order to even begin healing, you have to come to a baseline where your brain is not in complete fight or flight. And she basically told me, you have been battling severe depression that has been fully masked by incredibly high functioning anxiety. And that day on the freeway, your brain shut off. You were in fight or flight for way too long. The adrenaline wore off like you you're broken essentially. <laughs> and so I immediately got started on Zoloft. I couldn't even drive to the pharmacy to go pick it up myself. And Zoloft is an anti-anxiety medication for those of you who don't know. And I teetered with that. I went into a state of really horrific depression where I felt I, the most empty and lifeless I've ever felt. Because a lot of times when you start medications, you regress for a few days while your body adjusts to what's, you know, what's now in your system. And then by day, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, my head started to come above water and I was calm finally. And just kind of like, oh, okay, I'm not not deeply sad. I'm just sort of nothing. Or, um, yeah. And then I started weekly therapy and that is a whole other thing, but that is my like mental health journey, the really scary chronic stuff. And I think that a lot of times it feels like if your arm isn't chopped off and bleeding everywhere, then you're not truly suffering, but it took me a long time and a lot of therapy to realize 
how badly I was suffering. And because I wasn't choosing to take care of myself, my children and my husband and extended family members and friends were also suffering at my hands, regardless of, you know, me even, of course I didn't intend that, but yeah, I don't even really know where to go from here. Well, thank you. I didn't want to interrupt you at all, but like, I've heard that story many times, but every time it's like, I feel like I learn a little bit more or just, I don't know. It's actually crazy because this wasn't that long ago, right? That this happened yet. Like I have, I didn't meet you until you were already feeling a lot stronger, I think. And it's just hard to even imagine you going through that. And I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I know that sharing is going to help so many other people, even like sharing with me has been helpful because like, I'm starting to realize like how many things have maybe affected me or like, I'm just more aware of my mental state and more open to things that could help that in the future. If there ever came a time where I needed medication or like, I definitely would love to go to therapy just because everyone should go to therapy anyways. Right. Um, so yeah, that was a lot. And I know. I know. Of you. No, no, no. Oh my God. Do not apologize. I'm so just like impressed with the way that you handle it and the way that you share so openly. And like you are standing living proof that like you can get better even if you're feeling like you're in a really dark place right now. Yes. Yeah, you really can. You have to you have to get to a point where you prioritize yourself. I wish I had done that before such a scary breaking point, but I think it was necessary. You know, it, it, I don't yeah. like saying that actually. It's not that it's necessary. It's that I'm not the biggest, like everything happens for a reason person, but I am a very big, you can take anything and everything that happens to you and use it to your advantage if you want in some way or another and so yeah part of that story is like once I came to a little bit I was like whoa I can't be the only one struggling like this and so I have become a very open book in an effort to share with other parents so that you all know that if you're struggling in a way that sounds similar that you deserve help. And I will say that like another thing I want to kind of dive into for a quick second is just the, what like the triggers, the rage triggers were for me and what that looked like and what they look like now. Because before I got the help I needed, I was dealing with you know, a, a fairly stubborn toddler, Hattie, Hattie kind of came out stubborn. She came out of the womb stubborn. And I love that for her. She knows what she wants and she is going to get it. And that is an amazing personality trait to have. And I can't wait to see where it takes her. It's really challenging to parent a toddler with that kind of strong-willed personality. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she was just like highly irrational and would scream a lot. And she would just very, very challenging. And looking back, I now know that before she was diagnosed, it's because she felt so horrible. Chronically high blood sugars can contribute to poor behavior for those of you who are unaware. And so I can see now how 
much she was suffering and how much she just needed like love, but I couldn't give it to her. I was being in that state of postpartum depression and pure exhaustion and attempting to deal with that kind of challenging toddler behavior. I, oh, the amount of times I yelled and screamed at a two-year-old is like one of the most shameful things and I'm choosing to share it so those of you who maybe have done something similar know that you are not alone in that and like I did I took the courses I followed all the pages I tried to help myself I listened to podcasts and I just could not calm myself you know like they say you have you have to find calm when they are bringing the crazy and her crazy always brought out my crazy and then we were just a whirlwind of crazy together and getting on medication and simultaneously being in weekly therapy going through my own childhood trauma my own young adult trauma like you know, just like various things that have happened in my life, the way I saw the world, all those things, being able to sort through those things in therapy was the most healing possible thing for me. And it was the best way for me to come out on the other side, a better parent. The caveat here is I am not a perfect parent. No one ever is. No one ever will be. I still get frustrated. I still explode. I still have really bad moments. But when I do, they don't last as long. They are not as severe. I immediately ask my husband for help. I accept help from others so that they don't happen as frequently. And the most important part is I repair with my children as soon as it mm-hmm. happens so much acknowledgement and apologizing and things of that nature. Um, but I just want to say you're so intentional about parenting. Like I have never met someone that is more intentional about the way that you talk to your kids about diabetes, also just in general. I know I'm not there for all the moments, but it's really, really cool to see. And there has to be moments. I'm sure we'll get into this in a second, but like with diabetes where you have to say something to Hattie that you would never like, normally say to her but it's like there comes a point where it's like you have to eat the food sorry Hattie but like you got to eat it like you know like there's things that it's just almost impossible to both parent the way you want to parent but also keep your child safe and alive because of diabetes which is so hard you are I just love you so much you yes (laughs) you (laughs) you just took the words out of my mouth that's like literally it I appreciate that you recognize that and you like see that and you say that that is it. The, the reason I find myself exploding the most is when diabetes has been the hardest or it's at the scariest and it's already out of my control. And my toddler is being a toddler and making it even more out of my control, which isn't Mm -hmm. her fault, but I, that fight or flight comes up and it's like, just eat the fucking food. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God you are 50 and dropping by 15, 20 points, eat it. Like, you know, it's it's completely unfair. That's not a parenting style that works on most children. Like I never want my kids to fear me. 
And so I just, yeah, there's a lot of really challenging issues with diabetes specifically that is exhausting where it's like, I didn't sleep well last night. I'm super tired. You're now cranky. You want this food. I've made it for you. You've just said no. That makes me upset because one, I just spent time making it for you. Two, I pre bolused you. Three, I'm freaking tired. Four, why do you have diabetes? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and there's, there's nothing like I feel kind of sad or weird bring like even talking about this right now because there's literally nothing that you can do about it other than figure out what your triggers are, where your limits are and stand up for yourself as a mother and as your own human being and say I have reached my limit when you've reached your limit. And so once I yeah. started doing that is when I became a lot closer to the version of a mother I want to be for my kids. Yeah, that makes sense. So have you found anything in those really hard moments that seems to work with Hattie? Obviously every child is so different, but like I was very much a people pleaser with my parents too. So like I was not stubborn, I don't think as a kid. Um, So I wasn't really like, and my parents, from what I remember, did not raise their voice at me very much. But then when they would, it was like, oh my gosh, I got to do it. You know what I mean? So that almost maybe would have worked for me if like I really had to do something. But have you found anything that works for you? When it comes to her being low and not eating something, she is, she's super smart and like, (laughs) I don't know. Basically the, the things that have worked for me is just getting down on her level. I never talk down at her, you know, I'm always Mm -hmm. down face to face and I go, you are low. You are getting so low that you might fall asleep and not wake up. If that happens, Mm -hmm. I have to call the ambulance. We have to take you to the hospital and you'll be very sick. So I need you to eat this. I know you don't want it. I'm sorry. There's no other option. I only have this applesauce. You have to eat this if you do not want to go to the hospital. And I fucking hate that I have to say that. It's a scare tactic. It's awful. But it's also like the alternative is I don't have that conversation with her. I just scream and cry and make it more stressful of a situation, which in turn makes her throw her middle fingers right back up in the air at me. Like now I'm really not Mm -hmm. doing it because you're yelling at me. And then she does pass out and then we do go to the hospital. And so well, it's and that's like, the thing is it's a scare tactic, but it's also just the truth. Yeah. Like you're being really honest with her, which sucks, but I mean kind of how totally it is. Sucks. Yeah. And I think that like luckily we don't have that many aggressive lows. You know, we've also had a lot of conversations of like, Hattie girl, when you ask for that much food and we, we say like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And you say, yeah, I'm sure. And then you take one bite and walk away. We're stuck, hun. You've got so mm-hmm. much insulin in your body because you said that's how much you wanted. And it feels gross because that's not her responsibility. She's three, almost four. Yeah. Like she shouldn't have to know. But I also, it's the balance of like having to teach that, you know? And so mm-hmm. I teach it. But then I also teach myself like, 
okay, don't do that next time. Just accept a possibly higher sugar and wait for her to eat a little bit and then dose her. Dose her half, dose her a quarter. Like it, it becomes my burden. This is, this is my role as a parent right now. I cannot take the burden of having diabetes away from her, but I can take on the burden of you're three and you can't tell me exactly how much you're going to eat. Well, my burden is figuring out exactly how to dose you so that you aren't 300 for five hours. I'll take that on. But it's exhausting and you need to recognize that it's exhausting and it can push you to your limits and to take time away for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a hard one. I feel like this conversation is even like a further conversation starter. Like if people have thoughts or more specific things that you want us to try to touch on, we can. It's such a complicated one and there's no right answer, but I think just sharing it like you have is really helpful. Mm -hmm. And again, Mm -hmm. like this makes me want to ask my family like how they handled that because I don't remember at all. Like I don't think they did raise their voice or anything. I mean, I just think that that with my personality could have worked. So adding it to the list of things to ask my mom, it's very interesting, but (laughs) I'm fine now. Right. I mean, even being diagnosed at five rather than three, like that or younger, that is easier maybe because I did kind of understand it better. So it's possible that I just didn't give as much pushback. I don't know. Yeah. I think that five is when you start to understand that you have to follow rules and you Mm -hmm. like, a lot of kids, I think, developmentally, like in childhood developments, when they start to be like, I sit here, I'm in the line, like, now I write my name on the paper, like, the structure feels good. But toddlerhood yep. is so much more about like, seeking out independence. And some toddlers, mm-hmm. like, our youngest has a different personality, she's seeking out independence. But at the end of the day, if I get down and hold her shoulders and say, summer you cannot do that it is dangerous mama's telling you no you're not listening I have to remove you to keep you safe she's fine Hattie was clawing my eyes out if I did that it was Mm -hmm. a constant battle so it's very kid dependent too yeah um but yeah I don't know I think like with age and the more she's gotten used to having diabetes and then I swear by medication, there was one point where I was in between uh, refills and I needed to get seen, but they couldn't see me for, I don't know, a week or something. So I was kind of rationing my medication, which you are absolutely not supposed to do, but I didn't want to go cold turkey, no meds for five Mm -hmm. days. So this seemed like a better option. And um, I could feel myself. It was when I had one of my worst, most recent explosive moments, totally cursed Mm -hmm. really loudly. I cried and screamed. She cried and screamed. Like it was bad. And luckily my husband was working from home and he was so amazing and kind and gentle. And he just came out and held me and said, go take a break, go take some deep breaths. You're okay. He started the repair process with Hattie and then I came out and finished it. Um, So having, you know, a supportive and loving partner is I'm very appreciative of, um, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah. My meds, my meds make a huge difference. Um, and it's very obvious that all of my years of suffering with anxiety, pretty severe anxiety, um, altered my brain chemistry. (laughs) So, 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I need the support and yeah, you know, who cares? Yes. Um, it makes me a better person. So, but yeah, you're an amazing person. Up. So, I, <laughs> okay. We can wrap this if you're comfortable with that. But again, just thank you yeah. so much. Um, before we go though, we wanted to also completely switching gears. Yeah. Um, <laughs> totally like it feels almost strange to do that but one of the questions that we got which we're trying to answer your questions or situation dms whatever it is uh at least one a a week when we have uh conversations that are just amanda and i was about flying someone asked for a refresher on flying and so let's talk about that for a couple minutes um i think you this is actually great okay we because we're on different pump systems i think this will be really helpful so I have flown a ton since I was little. My dad actually lived in California for most of my life while I lived in Texas. So I was like constantly going there, even flying by myself or my sister and I from a relatively young age. And so um, I've done it a bunch. And for the longest time, I just kind of YOLO it. <laughs> I go through with like I go through the metal detectors. Um, well, I should say, the, what's the one called where you put your hands up? The scanner, body scanner. Yes. Um, I go through that one. Yes. Not the metal detector. Um, I just go through and as I'm walking through, I I keep my pump on and I tell the person on the other side, I say, I have an insulin pump and they say, okay, well, I usually ask them, do you want me to put it in my pocket or hold it up? Because I can kind of hold it up depending on where it is on my body. And they'll tell me one way or the other. They don't always say the same thing, which is interesting. And then after it scans my body, I go out and they say, okay, just give me one second. And they do the little swab thing where they uh, take, I don't even know what to call it. It's like the bomb detection. I'm pretty sure. Um, They check my pump and my hands. Usually they swab both and then they put it in their little alarm detector machine. And within like 45 seconds, they're like, okay, you're good to go. Um, Years ago when I had other pumps, I've always had a tubed pump, but I had a Medtronic pump and a... um, animus which is no longer a thing Mm -hmm. but I used to actually disconnect my pump and put it through the detector like with my bags which Mm -hmm. I know you're not really supposed to do now but that also never gave me any issues so the point of all of this is I've done all the things and I've never had any problems and I've gone through a lot of metal detectors like at sporting events or whatever half the time my pump doesn't even go off so I've done it all that's not exactly what they tell you to do but I've also pulled my audience on Instagram many times about this topic and many, many people also do what I do and we haven't had problems. So take that as you will. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty easy. And the great part about it is I haven't had to get a very like intrusive pat down in a while. I mean, I've, I've sometimes they'll still do it randomly. I think I was actually coming back from uh, the Dominican Republic recently and they did like a quick pat down but it wasn't anything too much I'm I'm just at the point where it's like whatever just do what you need to do so I can leave mm-hmm. <laughs> yes very true yeah. um hopefully they wouldn't ask to pat down a kid that feels weird to me um I don't know they've never mm-hmm. asked us basically we've flown since she's had diabetes like four times now and um I mean, it's been fine ever since. We basically just pack like normal, and then we have this uh, diabetes packing. It's actually a makeup artist suitcase um, or bag with like dividers that you can move around. We've linked it before, but we can link it in the show notes. Yeah, and I just pack everything we need for all the days we're there, plus quite a few extra, like almost double of the supplies. Um, 
And yeah, basically if we were to get like trapped for a month, wherever we are, that's the amount of supplies I have, everything, ketone strips, like all of it. And, uh, we put, I, I'm comfortable putting that through the, um, like x-ray machine where the bags go, but I know Mm -hmm. that you can hand that medical bag and say, this is a medical bag. Can you please not let it go through the x-ray machine? And they'll like hand inspect it. And I also will tell them like, oh, just so you know, this bag is a medical bag. It's got all her supplies for diabetes in it. Um, Just so they can, you know, be aware when it comes up on the x-ray machine. And then we do not go through the scanner where you put your arms above your head. We do Mm -hmm. go through the other x-ray machine where you metal detector the metal detector yes thank you where you just walk through i'm pretty sure don't quote me but i'm pretty Hmm. sure if you wear omnipod you are not supposed to go through the scanner the full body scanner you are supposed to go through the metal detector because i think the full body scanner can possibly cause some sort of something I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know because I haven't looked into it because it's never been a problem. I feel like people get really stressed about traveling and it can be yeah. stressful. But for me, the part that is the most stressful is not having enough low snacks and not having extra insulin. As long yeah, as I have those two important. things, like I feel fine. So yeah, we've never had any other issues. I always just tell them my daughter's type one diabetic. She's wearing a pump on her leg and a monitor on her arm. And they go, okay, do you want her to go through the uh, metal mm-hmm. detector? And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. And they're like, cool. <laughs> and that's it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and the Dexcom never really make like alarms every now and then it'll mm-hmm. show up, but they'll see that it's a monitor and they'll just like pat the area that it's in and it's nothing yeah I will say yeah. they've I, never had to like look at Hattie and never touch Hattie which I appreciate because that's, that's when I would, I would get a little uncomfortable like she's three yeah. you don't need to like touch my three-year-old you know yes yes um, that will probably come when she's older unfortunately but yes I think yes. a lot of people do request pat-downs because they like feel better about that instead of potentially harming your devices but yeah I've never had any direct problems um I will say it's really important to always carry your insulin with you as well as Mm -hmm. all of your supplies or as many as you can on the actual plane um apparently insulin can freeze if it's like checked with your checked bag and so once it freezes it's not good anymore um and on that note too if you're staying at a hotel with a fridge I've heard a lot of horror stories of people putting their insulin in the fridge in the hotel but then it's actually one of those like fridge freezer situations where like you can switch it back and forth or like parts of it is a freezer part of it is a fridge and it ends up getting frozen so that's also something to be aware of um and then always bring syringes or pen and or Mm -hmm. pens just to have because if you do have a pump malfunction you got that i've done quite a lot of airport bathroom site changes as well as airplane site changes in my life and you just kind of have to deal with it sometimes oh my gosh (laughs) I did so many airport like terminal changes because we had so Mm -hmm. many delays over the summer so there's literally a reel on Instagram of me just like changing in the middle of the airport um but yeah I mean she 
her response to being in higher altitude and like just sitting for a long period of time is obviously for her sugars to climb a little bit. So mm-hmm. my husband and I just give microbolses of insulin. Um, for those of you on injections, I would say just just watch. And if you feel like, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, it's you just, just deal with it like anything yeah, else. It's just a short amount of time. Just make sure you have a lot of low snacks on you. Yes, but I do love that on the plane they always have juice. Like I feel pretty comfortable once I'm on the actual plane. Um, I did want to say really fast, I recently got some DMs when talking about travel of people also on the T-Slim saying that their pump actually did alarm for a bomb detection. (laughs) And they found out the reasoning for that was because they had like lotion on their hands or like some other, I don't know, lotions, hand sanitizers can set it off. But it didn't end up being a huge deal. Like they looked into things further and it didn't take that long. They weren't like, like I would think, oh my gosh, you're in trouble. Like it's going to be horrible, but apparently it wasn't that big of a deal. So if something like that does happen to you, like also don't freak out, but maybe don't wear a bunch of lotion before you go on the plane. Um, And then the last thing I want to say is that I think I might've said this on another podcast. I can't keep track where I'm saying what, but you can technically have an extra medical bag as a type one. That's another right that we have Mm -hmm. Um, a small carry on medical bag in addition to the other ones that airlines allow you to have. But some airlines are really annoying about it and they'll still give you crap for it. Some it really just depends on the person that you get. But legally, like you are, you have the right to have an extra bag and you also have the right to check in or pre-board. That's the word. Um, because if you board really late, there's a chance that either they're gonna not have overhead bin space and you're gonna have to put your stuff um somewhere else like they're gonna have to check it or they're gonna put it on like the opposite end of the plane for you which is not good because if you're low or you need your supplies in the middle of the flight that's not great either so that's why we're allowed to pre-board again sometimes they give you crap for it because we look fine as type ones but there are other things going on so that can be frustrating I've only used that to my advantage once Mm -hmm. because I was scared but (laughs) that time I really like wanted to use it and I also was with my sister and I was like we want to sit together so I just used it yeah so you can always bring a doctor's note for that too Awesome. I don't really have anything else on flying. It feels scary, but it's it's really not. Just as long as you have your supplies and you treat people with kindness and you just say, my kid has type 1 diabetes. They require insulin in order to eat. And sometimes they can have dangerously low blood sugars. And it's as simple as that 10 second explanation with a smile on your face that should lead to most people working with you instead of against you. Totally so. agree. All right. Blood sugar roll call. Yeah. Um, um, I'm finally down. 183 going down. Yay. Yay. Hattie is 98. All right. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> we'll see everyone next week. Yes. Have a good week until then. Bye, friends. Bye.